Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It's hour two of mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. So if you are just waking up on the West Coast, it's 5 a.m. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, and for those of you uh, listening in, you know, Hartford, Connecticut, good morning to you. We recognize it's practically the middle of the day. So we're glad you're here wherever you're listening and however you're listening. It's great to share this with others via the Faith Radio app or streaming online at myfaithradio.com. Um, and thank you, thank you, thank you to every listener who helps make this possible through your financial support of the ministry. So really um, just appreciate each and every one of you this morning. So California um, governor's uh, governor, Gavin Newsom, has uh, sent forth his first television ad for his reelection campaign. Now, it's interesting to me that in this first TV ad for his reelection, he's not actually asking voters to support his campaign and he's not asking for their vote, which is ordinarily what happens during a campaign ad. Instead, the entire ad campaign is um, provoking voters to enshrine abortion in California's state constitution. So the California Democratic Party is spending um, something like half a million dollars over the next couple of weeks to encourage the people of California to back something called Proposition 1. And it is a measure that's on their fall ballot to enshrine the right to abortion and, uh, and contraception Uh, in the state of California through the Constitution. Now, I think this signals two things. Number one, after beating back last year's recall attempt, Gavin Newsom, um, you know, like, views his reelection as a near certainty. So that's why he doesn't feel the need to actively campaign for votes. But secondly, um, I think it's really important for us to recognize the signal that abortion is the issue. Abortion is the issue in the election, in this election cycle, at least as far as Democrats who are campaigning are concerned. Now, you and I know it's not the primary issue in terms of what's going on at kitchen tables across America, but it is the issue for um, for those who believe that abortion is a constitutional right and they want to see it enshrined as such. Um, in recent months, you will recognize that The governor of the nation's most uh, powerful and populous state, California, has paid for out-of-state television ads and billboards um, across the southeastern United States in his attempt to, like, shame governors. Um, And he's also signed a sweeping wish list of priorities in his own state um, over the last few weeks. So he is publicly proud that California is leading the nation in promoting abortion. He talks about it as the state's value. Um... I mean, literally, he's literally is quoted as saying in political today, Politico today, there's a deep pride that we're providing abortion for others. Now, that made me think of Jeremiah 615, which talks about a generation that has forgotten how to blush, a people who take pride in things in which God would have us be ashamed. So Jeremiah 615 says they should be ashamed of their detestable deeds. 
but they're not ashamed at all. They don't even know how to blush. The topic there is pride, and we ought to be um, considerate of it. All right, there is uh, more on this, but we will come back to the topic of pride and the way it works itself out in our um, individual and common life later, because right now, waiting uh, to talk with us is a pastor from Bonita Springs, Florida, an area hard hit by Hurricane Ian. His name is Doug Pratt, and he has been a friend of mine for a long, long time. So I'm really excited for you to get to meet him in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You Doug Pratt's been in ministry for um, a long time. He is the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Bonita Springs, Florida. He's a good friend of mine, and he has weathered some storms in the past. He literally passed through the eye of this most recent hurricane named Ian. Doug, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Great to talk to you and to my brothers and sisters in Christ who are listening. You are not allowed to tell all the stories you know about me, just uh, just, just as we start out here. Uh, they're all good. They're all clean. <laughs> they're all virtuous. You know, one of the things that I love about um, your church, I think that First Benita Springs is one of the very first places that I recall ever encountering like a mobile health unit. You had like this RV um, in your parking lot one Sunday when I was visiting and women were like getting free mammograms and other kinds of checkups taking place. And so I've just, I've just always appreciated the way that um, your, your congregation has not just been a wonderful, wonderful like place for people to gather and be resourced um, in the faith and worship together, but that from First Benita Springs, so much ministry has gone forth into the surrounding community. Well, thank you. Uh, it's a sacred uh, privilege that the church has to uh, really be the light and salt in a community, and uh, we've taken that very seriously. And I've been here for 18 years as a pastor, and it's uh, uh, certainly, in the words of Esther, clear to us that we have been placed here for such a time as this, when a community, a beautiful, prosperous community that in which many people thought um, they had uh, the world by the tail, so to speak, uh, has been shaken and has been uh, forced to think about things in a new way. And um, it's a way that the gospel really addresses, as well as uh, an opportunity for Christians to put hands and feet to the gospel by um, being very tangibly uh, the uh, expression of Christ's love to them in a time of their need. That is, um, that's really what we want to have a conversation with you about today. Um, I, I love the the gospel emphasis from the very beginning, um, the note of sacred privilege that the church has to serve in times such as this, um, the new ways that people are thinking about things and the future and the things of this world versus life itself, um, talk with us about your experience of, of Hurricane Ian, um, maybe personally, but then also congregationally. Yeah, uh, I'll give you a quick uh, 
overview, though people have been inundated with information about it over the last couple of weeks. Uh, it was two weeks ago today. Uh, a very large, rapidly developing storm uh, took a different course than was expected and came inland, uh, actually just a little bit north of us, but in our county of southwest Florida. And um, it, it, uh, its greatest impact upon us was in uh, very strong winds. I, I'm sure my home and my wife and I stayed in it during the storm um, uh, was buffeted by more than 100 mile an hour winds uh, with a lot of debris. But the, the greatest dam danger and damage came from what's called storm surge, uh, which was not a wall of water like a tsunami, but an ever increasing flow of water coming in from the Gulf of Mexico uh, which is just to our west, and uh, it hit at the worst possible time of a high tide, and the 100-plus mile-an-hour winds pushed the water inland at the rising tide so that uh, right along the beaches and right along the barrier islands, uh, very close to us, we're about four miles inland, but right very close to us along the beach, um, the water rose to 15, 16 feet high, flooding mm. the first floors, uh, all the way up to the roofs of one-story homes, and the power of the water uh, swept the less well-constructed homes off their uh, moorings and off their foundations and out to sea. Uh, and so uh, there was quite a su substantial damage. A couple communities, one of them called Fort Myers Beach, which is a barrier island just off the shore of Fort Myers, uh, the, one of the larger cities of this area, and uh, islands called Sanibel and Captiva, very popular tourist uh, uh, destinations, were completely underwater. Many of those homes had been around for 50, 75 years. They were uh, small, one-story frame and not built according to the higher standards that Florida has been instituting for building codes uh, for the last 20 years. The homes that have been built in Florida recently are really strong. They are bunkers. They are not wood frame. Uh, by and large, the new homes are concrete block, rebar reinforced with tie-down uh, roofs. And they really, uh, many of the newer homes did survive structurally, but it was the older homes that were just uh, blown away or carried away by the waves. So uh, that's some of the damage that happened. The storm lasted for a long time. It was a very long storm. And then it went uh, inland and uh, losing uh, power um, and speed of winds uh, ended up crossing the whole state of Florida, dumping a lot of rain on Orlando all the way to the northeast to Jacksonville. But the area that was really hit was a small concentrated area where we are. And um, I can kind of give you some perspective and numbers on that if you're interested. But uh, that's what the storm was like. And it did mm -hmm. a lot of lasting damage to a lot of very beautiful areas. Mm. Doug, we're going to um, pause here just briefly. But when we come back, I'd love for you to tell us some, you know, some God stories, some some either things you've heard or experienced uh, since the storm where, you know, God has really shown up. And then we want to talk about how God has positioned your church um, and and the Christian community in general, you know, to respond. There is real opportunity for ministry uh, mm -hmm. in the wake of the storm. We're talking with yep. Doug Pratt. He is the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Bonita Springs, Florida. You can find them at fpcbonita.com. 
mornings.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. And I'll praise you in this storm, and I will lift my hands, for you are who you are, no matter where I am. Praising God in the midst of the storm and then relying on God in the aftermath of it. We're talking with Pastor Doug Pratt. He serves a church in southwest Florida in a community called Bonita Springs, um, hard hit by Hurricane Ian. But this church is well positioned to um, be serving the community in the aftermath of the storm. So, Doug, talk with us about, you know, some God stories you've experienced along the way in the last couple of weeks. And then let's also talk about how the church is positioned to serve in these days. Okay. Uh, Certainly, there have been a lot of uh, miraculous stories of uh, deliverance through the storm, in the storm. Uh, We have a church member who was washed away, clung to uh, some mangroves, found a, um, which are plants that grow out of the seawater. And he, uh, he, because he lived right on the beach, he found a kayak floating in the rising water and climbed into that. And was somehow able to make it back to land. It, it's and he mm. gives an amazing testimony. There are people, including church members, who were rescued by first responders and uh, National Guard, um, who have been heroic. I would say pulling sixteen and eighteen hour shifts uh, for the last two weeks. Uh, they are uh, truly courageous people, and we love them. Uh, there have been uh, many people who have had the aha moment when their house uh, was flooded by six inches or six feet of water, and all of the things, the stuff that they had accumulated that they thought were essential to life. You know, people are having uh, attitude adjustments and value adjustments all across our community to say houses can be rebuilt and furniture can be replaced and clothing can be purchased, but to be alive and to have uh, gone through an experience like this. It changes us, but it also um, makes us aware of our dependence on God. So a lot of people have had some uh, spiritual awakening times. Um, And I believe that the church has a role not only to be a clearinghouse and a deliverer of services in times of need, but also to be the spiritual foundation that people really require those who think, and sadly, for example, in the COVID uh, shutdowns, uh, those governmental officials, probably not believers, who thought that churches were irrelevant and were auxiliary, whereas massage parlors and gambling uh, casinos were crucial, of course, um, failed to realize that human beings are uh, spiritual beings as well as physical, and we really need faith to get us through. So the Sunday after the hurricane, although our church did not have electricity, we opened up the doors, let the breezes flow through, gathered strictly in stained glass window light without microphone, 
And we invited our people to come, and over 350 people came just to be together. And that Sunday was memorable. One of the scripture verses that we read and talked about together was Isaiah 43, verse 2. God says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. Boy, did that speak to us. And during that time, we had the opportunity to talk about the natural reaction because all of those who came by definition would have been survivors of the storm, but had been shaken by it. And the initial emotional reaction first for most of us was survivor euphoria, which is what um, people in combat, soldiers will experience when the battle is over. Oh, I survived, followed sometimes by survivor guilt. Why me when my friend or neighbor lost their home uh, or in uh, some tragic cases uh, lost their life? Why, why am I still here? And for those who are believers, that survivor guilt, if properly focused, leads to a desire to do what God calls us to do to help others. As Paul wrote, uh, we as the believers are to rejoice with those who rejoice, but we're also to mourn or weep with those who are going through hard times. And so the impulse uh, of what can I do, roll up my sleeves, open my checkbook, give myself and whatever I can spare to help others who have lost has been um, a natural um, refocusing away from just feeling uh, guilt or uh, feeling relief to what can we do. Mm. When you um, when you are asked and and others are seeking an answer to the question of what can we do, there are those of us um, who you know we're not directly affected. We don't live in Southwest Florida, but we are not only um, your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know we're your fellow Americans, and we want to know what to do that would actually be helpful. Like we don't want yeah. our helping to hurt. So yeah. um, how how can we help? What can we do? Exactly. Well, that's a great question. Well, first, uh, let me tell you what our church is doing, and then I can briefly just share some options for people who might be prompted. Um, Our church uh, has sent out work crews right to the homes of church members and their next-door neighbors who were flooded to do the yucky job of, you know, mucking out and cleaning up. And some of our church members have volunteered with Samaritan's Purse, which has trucks here on the ground filled with uh, the tools, the chainsaws, the crowbars that you need to um, immediately do cleanup. And uh, while they coordinate the work, uh, they need volunteers from the uh, from our area and any who are willing to come from far away and be a part of that volunteer effort. Secondly, we have a thrift shop, which uh, happened before the storm to be pretty loaded with clothing and household items and sheets and towels and pots and pans and people who uh, had d- dysfunctional homes or had to move into uh, some rental uh, or borrowed places needed things like that. So our thrift shop opened the doors and said, if you've been impacted by the storm, uh, shopping spree time, it's free of charge. We've also been uh, communicating with all of our congregation, the majority of whom, frankly, were not in Southwest Florida because we're kind of a seasonal church. And so we sent out appeals and information to all of our congregation and said, If you have a home you are not going to be using for a few months because you don't come to Florida until January, let's say, and would be willing for a church member or someone we vetted to live in that home rent-free for a few months, that would get them over until their home can be repaired. We've had a great response from that. There were thousands of automobiles ruined by flooding 
and those cars cannot be repaired, uh, especially the electric uh, ones. They're really dangerous. <laughs> and so people need vehicles, but some of our church members who had uh, cars undamaged uh, uh, that they're not using have made them available as well as offering uh, all kinds of uh, other tangible things. And we started a fund immediately that uh, is allowing us uh, to um, give money directly, normally in the form of Visa gift cards that are like cash. Uh, and we've been going uh, through our neighborhood and through and communicating with all the families in our preschool and others who had flood-damaged homes or wind-damaged homes. And uh, we have initially been giving them gift cards uh, with no strings attached. We know that a lot of money will be coming into our area, but you have to fill out a lot of forms with FEMA and with insurance companies. And, and what people in the last two weeks have needed is cash to buy food and to live or maybe to stay in a hotel or um, put a down payment on a car before the insurance uh, check comes in to replace it, a car that's been totaled there. Lots of things that have allowed, uh, and the, the gifts people have given have allowed us to uh, give immediate tangible help. Uh, we will be transitioning into the long-term recovery, and some of the funds that people have entrusted to us will ultimately go to help people whose insurance doesn't match what they need to rebuild their home, and um, that'll be a long-term project. The reason why we've uh, moved into uh, being a relief agency is because we're right here on the ground and we know people, and uh, we respect Samaritan's Purse and Red Cross and Salvation Army. They're great organizations. And they're doing a good job, uh, but uh, but they come in and they may not know people as we do. So uh, we've been able to leverage the long-standing relationships um, to be a practical difference right now. In addition to that, our church property has been a staging area for relief uh, vehicles, electrical workers who have been uh, likewise heroic in coming in from uh, far away to repair our grid, and people who are... Um, uh, under contract from FEMA and the state and uh, who are using our staging area to um, deliver the, the help that's needed. That's just amazing. It's just amazing. Doug, can we um, can we pray for you personally? It's Pastor Appreciation Month. And then can we pray for the church and, um, and how God's going to continue to use you and uh, First Pres Benita Springs in these days? Please. Father, um, we thank you so much for our brother Doug. Um, we thank you for the congregation that he serves. We thank you for um, the you planting them and placing them on that particular corner of land for such a time as this. We thank you for their witness. We thank you for their many years of faithful ministry to their community and the relationships that you now give them the ability to leverage um, to meet real tangible needs. Um, physical needs, and Father, real tangible spiritual needs as well. Bless them, provide for them, um, and it, fully equip them for the good works that you have obviously prepared in advance for them to be doing in these days. Bless them, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, brother, thank you so much. I hope you'll, um, I hope you'll come back in, uh, in the months ahead and, and give us an update. Oh, I have many more stories to share whenever you'd like. I look forward to it. That's Doug Pratt. You can find him and uh, and stories of what's happening and come alongside them at uh, on Facebook, FPC Bonita, also fpcbonita.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Let's take a moment. Break point with John Stone Street. We're going down to the river. 
I were to ask you the question, who are you? How would you answer? Who are you? Um, Would you give me your name? Would you tell me what you do? Would you talk about your relationships? Or might you just come right out and say, I am a Christian. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is who I am. It's one thing to be a member of a church. That's an important thing. It's another thing altogether to be able to say out loud and confirm, not only in word, but also in deed, that I am a Christian. That's the name of the new book by Tom Rainer. We're going to talk about discovering what it means to follow Jesus together with fellow believers in these days. Are you a Christian? I am. That's up next from Mornings with Carmen. Tom Rainer is back. If you have never read um, I Am a Church Member, you should start there. He's here today to talk with us about I Am a Christian, discovering what it means to follow Jesus together with fellow believers. Tom, welcome back. Great to be back, Carmen. Thank you so much. So Absolutely. So you talk with lots of pastors. You um, have been a pastor. You train pastors. What are you hearing? I mean, I'm going to say post-COVID because we're I'm hoping we're, you know, I'm hoping we can talk about post-COVID reality. What are you sure. hearing from pastors in terms of, hey, my people have come back. My people haven't come back. Um, the people who've come back are different. People came people came back differently. People have different expectations. What are, what are you hearing? You know what I want to do, Carmen? I want to answer yes to everything you just stated, because you just stated so <laughs> many of the realities. One of the realities are that they, they came back, but they're acting differently, different expectations, some different attitude. And of course, that's a blanket statement. Another answer is about 20% is the median number who did not come back, and that would be pre-COVID to post-COVID attendance. Another issue is that they have come back, but they are attending less frequently. In other words, the commitment to the gathered church is becoming less frequent. Another thing that we're hearing is they came back, but our core are more committed. So there's a mix of good and bad news in there, but more pastors are struggling with the challenges that I mentioned, as opposed to the one good point that I mentioned. So pastors are really coming to us and others, and they're saying, what do we do to get our church members back to a level of commitment? And sometimes they idolize 2019, thinking that that was such a perfect year pre-COVID. It really wasn't. Hmm. But at least prior to COVID, what do we get them to have that commitment now as opposed to earlier? So I want to... Um I want to explore the answer to that question because, you know, when the local church is at its best, like a community sees its value, experiences its value, like because the local church isn't just internally serving its own, but it's externally, you know, advancing the kingdom and um, demonstrating kingdom values in the community of which it is a part. So can we, can we have that conversation? Can we answer the question? Like, how not just how do we get people back into the church, which is the critical conversation for those of us who are Christians um, and members of congregations. Like, right, there's, I mean, without us, the body doesn't function pro- appropriately. But when we think about the church and its impact in a community, what are maybe some of the first steps that a congregation could take to be sure that um, 
you know, it is having that sort of outward impact that makes it essential. One of the stats that we have come up with post-COVID, Carmen, in our research highlights the issue of which you speak. And that research is this, fewer than 1% of churches have any type of gospel activity outside of the walls of their church. And Mm -hmm. only about 5% even have a sporadic type of gospel conversation. Or to say it just plainly and simply, the Great Commission and evangelism is not taking place in our churches, and we have become insulated and a bit isolated. That situation has been exacerbated post-COVID. There, there are many different possibilities why. So that is that is one of the issues. Another of the issues is this. There, there tends to be a scapegoat called the universal church. And let me explain my words there, because I don't want to be theologically aberrant on that. And what, what we hear quite often is, I don't need the church. The church is not a building. It is the people of God. That is a theologically correct statement. That's biblically true. The church does represent, and it is the people of God. But there's another part to this. The church is not only the universal church. See, the people of God out in the, out in the world, being believers, being salt and light. The church is also local as well. And when you look at the New Testament from Acts 2 all the way to Revelation 3, the entire portion of that large part of Scripture is either to a local church, about a local church. The local church is so important that God made it his plan A to do his work on earth, and he really didn't have a big plan B. And so what we're seeing many times is the minimization of the local church. I don't need to go to a building. I don't need to attend worship because I am a believer wherever I am. So we use the excuse that we're believers or that we are Christians and saying that we don't need to be in community. We don't need to be gathered and we don't need to be a part of a local body. We also use that if we're a part of a local body and we make it an optional activity where we, we say that, you know what, uh, Going to a gathered worship service, attending church, if you will, uh, is about as important as anything else I do or is, is equal to anything else I do. So it'll be an option among many. If I want to sleep in, I sleep in. If, if I want to schedule my children for sports activities on Sunday morning, I will do that. The church has become optional instead of a commitment to a body of Christ. As you articulated, you were, you're just going right over 1 Corinthians 12, and you're talking about the body of Christ. We're the body, mm-hmm. and if any part's missing, even in the gathered body, we have a church that is not functioning as it should. Yeah, I think that I hear this a lot. I hear this generationally. I hear it um, I hear it, I, I mean, I'm going to use the word politically. I'm not sure that's exactly the right word to use. Um, but I hear people saying, you know, I don't want to go to church. You know, like those, you know, those people, right, mm-hmm. those people um, on one extreme or the other, right, they're either they're either too liberal, they're too conservative, and, and it's about politics. So there's too much politics in the church, maybe, and there's not, a, and there's, and there, this is also the reality that some people have been, like deeply hurt, they have a right. uh, a prior experience with the church, or or they they have heard about that. They have heard that some people have been hurt in the church, and if if 
churches are places where people go to get hurt, then I don't want to go there. Can you address both the political issue? I know this is a lot in one question, so we can break it up and do one part now and one part after a brief break. But can we talk about the the political issue and political identity and also the harm that people really have experienced and it either creates a personal reason not to return or because they've heard about it, they're, you know, they just simply brush the church off. The polarization of culture and the commensurate polarization of politics has definitely made its way into the church. And there are many positions that are truly biblical where we take a stand There are many positions that are just more political. Some of them are related to candidates. And during COVID, during the, particularly during the time where we were in different levels of quarantine, that issue became exacerbated. We were going through an election. We're going through a presidential election. We were many, many, many people, church members alike, as well as non-church members were isolated and a lot of frustration was going on and it played itself out in politics. I have always seen political issues manifest themselves in churches, but it certainly got more tense and as exacerbated as any time that I've ever seen it, uh, 2020 particularly. Then you get to the issue of hurt. There is absolutely no doubt that some people have been hurt in the church by church leaders, by pastors, by each other. That is not an issue that we need to camouflage or act like it does not happen. We imperfect Christians sometimes do some really stupid things, and we hurt people. And when someone has been hurt in the church, I don't want to just minimize their hurt. I want to acknowledge their hurt. But I also want to ask this question, why are you in the church? Not just to that person who's been hurt, but anybody. And when we get to the essence of it, we're not in the church to have our needs or our politics met. We are in the church to serve Christ and to serve others. And so when we say that we are Christians, we're also saying that that is being played out in the community of faith. And my role is to put others before myself. My role is to be a 1 Corinthians, not only 12, but a 13, and demonstrate love to everyone. My role is to be a servant. And if I can get that kind of mindset in the church, in my marriage, and my friendships and my relationships where others come before myself, it really puts a lot of things in perspective, not minimizing the hurt, but asking people to look from the perspective of servanthood. So when we come back, um, Tom, and again, we're talking with Tom Rayner. Uh, the book is I Am a Christian. We do have copies to give away today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. When we come back, um, Tom, I want you to connect all of this to um, biblical literacy and basic discipleship, because I think that the answer to many of these questions is there are a lot of people who've been members of churches, and they didn't really know why, and if we could recover what it means to be a Christian, then we would better understand what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. So that conversation's coming up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? 
Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. That spells Christian. I am a Christian, and the B-I-B-L-E, now that's the book for me. And that little comment is for Joshua, who is three and listening today, and it's his favorite song. So good morning, um, Joshua, and I hope you're listening, and the B-I-B-L-E is the book for me, too, because I am a Christian. Talking with Tom Rayner, we're talking about his brand new book, I Am a Christian, Discovering What It Means to Follow Jesus Together with Fellow Believers. Um, we are giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Tom, let's talk about um, essential beliefs or essential Christianity, not just beliefs, but also practices. Uh, there's a lot of confusion about what it means to be a Christian. There's a lot of confusion because there's a lot of lack of knowledge, or maybe a stronger word would be ignorance, uh, about the Bible itself. We cannot know what it means to be a follower of Christ until we read, know, understand, and obey his, his word. We cannot obey his word unless we're in his word. Now, what are the implications behind that? One implication is that we're studying the word under the preached word. That means that we're gathering. Another implication is that through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can read the Bible ourselves and we can hear from God directly from his word, daily Bible reading. And I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. Another implication of that is that we can learn the Bible in groups with other followers of Christ, whether we call it a community group, a small group, a Sunday school class. That is another way that we can learn the Bible. Uh, we did some research some time ago. It's not recent research, but we, we, we studied correlated factors, and that's just a fancy statistical phrase. We're saying if this happens, then this probably happens. Not necessarily cause, but it's related to it. The number one related factor to all the aspects of becoming a follower of Christ, being active in a church, being a prayer, a prayer warrior, being of someone who serves, uh, sharing your, the gospel, all of those factors were highly correlated to daily Bible reading. So when you, when you study the Bible daily, you are more likely to serve others. You're more likely to share the gospel. You're more likely to do ministry in your community. You're more likely to be serving within the context of your church. We cannot begin to know what it means to be a Christian until we are in his word that tells us what it means to be a Christian. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can begin to learn this. We know that biblical literacy is high within the church. We know that reality. The solution is simple, and it's just get back into the Word, but it is not practiced. And there are many church-going Christians who do not really know the 66 books of the Bible, do not really understand the big picture of the Bible, much less some of the more nuanced issues in the Bible. And it's really basic. 
It's because we're not in the word. When we're in the word, we become people of the word. When we're people of the word, we begin to practice that word daily in our disciplines. Biblical illiteracy or just lack of discipline in studying the Bible and, and reading the Bible regularly is one of the really big issues in the church today. Regular listeners to this program get asked um, with regularity, where in the Word are you today? And then they hear me say, you know, it's imperative that we be in the Word of God, that the Word of God would be in us, so that when the world squeezes us, as it will, what comes out of us is the very grace and truth of the gospel, because that's ultimately what the people, you know, what the world needs. Not another piece of our mind, but the very piece of the mind of Christ. So, Tom, here's what we're... Here's what we're competing against. Um, the average American spends two hours and 27 minutes every day on social media. Mm-hmm. 147 minutes um, on social media every single day. The average uh, American is not spending anywhere near two hours and 27 minutes in the Bible. Right. And that is exactly where we are. And I, I put... I. I if, if we begin to diagnose this, common, Carmen, one of the things that I would, I would say very clearly is the responsibility lies with the Christian. There's, there, mm-hmm. there are plenty of places that we can have uh, blame residing. But I also would say that some of the blame or some of the challenge resides with the local church. Quite frankly, in many of our churches, we have dumbed down what it means to be a part of the church, and our expectations are low, and and, and our sense of what it means to follow Christ is not robust. And when churches begin to raise the bar biblically, when they when they begin to uh, really look at the Word of God as something that is manifest daily in the lives of people, they are going to have higher expectations and they be in the church. And when the church has higher expectations, people are going to move to a higher level of commitment. Here's the thing about it. Everybody wants to be different. Everybody wants to be a part of something different. The local church needs to scream, this is where you can be different because being like Christ is different. And I say that much of the responsibility resides in the local church. That's why I love the local church. That's why I'm passionate about the local church. And that's why I'm saying you can't really begin to say, I am a Christian, unless you are saying it with enthusiasm in the fellowship of other believers. So, yeah, there are a lot of ways that we can diagnose the problem, but I also think there is a way that we can begin to address it, and that is higher commitment within the body of Christ. So if you're saying to yourself, hey, um, you know, I'm happy to be studying the Bible on my own, Tom Rayner is going to say this is about um, following Jesus together with fellow believers. That's one of the uh, the key takeaways here. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity or, you know, just the me and Jesus approach. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, believers being knit together into local expressions of the church small c, which are, yes, all a part of the universal church big c. All right, so um, that is the conversation. The book is available. We're giving away copies today of I Am a Christian. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. You can also um, connect with the research that Tom's been uh, pointing to and talking about, and you can connect with him directly at churchanswers.com, churchanswers.com. Tom, thank you as always so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio.
So where in the word are you today? I am in the Sermon on the Mount. It takes about 18 minutes to read aloud. It takes a lifetime to live it out as a disciple of Jesus. Where in the word are you today? Maybe join me in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. I mean, hey, on average, you're going to spend something like two hours and 27 minutes on social media today. It takes 18 minutes to read the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. It's like Jesus' TED Talk. Maybe you could think about it that way. All right, there you go. I love you. Have a blessed day. Thank a farmer. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.